Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Certified Forgotten, still the only horror podcast that reviews films with 10 or fewer reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. That's sort of our thing. As I sometimes say, if somebody else is doing it, please don't tell us. Our egos are fragile, and we cannot handle the competition. I'm Matt Monagle. I am one half of your Matt hosts. I am joined every time, all the time, by my buddy Matt Donato. How you doing, Matt? Pretty good. One time, I'm just going to bring in Matt Barone and just not tell you and, and see if you notice. <laughs> I have to say, I don't want to I don't want to tease like future guests in future episodes, but we have a guest coming up that is literally breaking my fucking brain in terms of like addressing names on the podcast. That's all I'm going to say for now. It's that's going to be a rough one. But today today we have an that's easier, be a bad day. easier topic today, which is good. <laughs> that's that's going to be a weird episode. But but uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, that's not really a problem you need to, to, to worry about now. Um, we always bring in really cool people from across the spectrum of horror, you know, writers, critics, filmmakers, producers. We love to talk to people and get their perspective, especially on how independent horror is playing within the industry. And I, this is, we, we talked to filmmakers before. I don't want to name their names because we have sort of a feud going on. It's, it's a whole thing. Um, but I think this is the first time that we have talked to somebody who's responsible for curating and delivering such excellent content we get on the home video market. So with that bumper, Mr. Donato, will you please introduce this week's guest? Absolutely. Today, we get to bring in someone who I have shared countless Warzone wins with. And also, you know him as head of acquisitions and a producer for Vinegar Syndrome and Terrorvision now as well, which uh, today we even get to talk about a Terrorvision movie, which I'm very excited about. But uh, let me first introduce the man, the myth, not really a legend, but Brad Henderson. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I won't I won't take the legend part, but just to clarify one thing. Not the head acquisitions, just acquisitions. There's multiple of us. Uh, but yes, happy to be here. Apologies. Great. I'll also edit that out. <laughs> Are you going to edit that out? I think we should just leave it. I think you no, got to promote You should leave it when you mess up. It's great. I love it. Fine. Yeah, that speaks, right. that speaks to the spirit um, of independent filmmaking in some way that I'm, I'm not really sure how to tie it together yet, but I, but I know that it's there. So, Brad, first question. When we talk to our guests, we usually like to talk about the history, their history with the horror genre, how they got started. We're going to do that in a second. But I need to know once and for all, which of you are the better Warzone player? You or Donato? Uh, you know, I'll go ahead and say Donato because I'm the bigger man. Um, <laughs> but uh, Donato's a good support system because he's aggressive. I got your back. Henderson likes to run and gun. He's not one of those snipers on our team that like sits back. And when when my, when my daddy goes into battle, baby's got to follow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your dynamic is so weird, but I love it because Donato will sometimes post his clips of Warzone stuff. And I always like I've never played with you guys in Warzone specifically. I played like a little bit with Donato, but I always feel like somewhere in the background there is Brad's corpse. And I don't know if this is just the way you pick the clips, but like Brad's dead somewhere and like giving advice from the sidelines. And then Brad McCarg is, is also like dead somewhere. It's it's interesting to watch this stuff play out. This is all I know about you as a person is what I've gleaned from clips of, from Warzone. Well, that's right. Because I don't have some, like I only, like if we play quads, Matt's my only support. And I, I run in because I'm used to, I think Warzone's the only Battle Royale game where you have trouble taking down four people yourself. Like, I'm used to playing PUBG and Apex where taking on a team of three isn't honestly that big of a deal. Warzone, because there's just so many little hmm. additives, you know, heartbeat sensors, UAVs. 
you know, kill streaks. <laughs> There's so many things can down you. And yeah, I usually end up dying because I'm not afraid. Well, I promise when you run into the conversation today, we won't leave you behind, which is is sort of my very smooth segue to the part of the show where we talk about you and your history with the horror genre. So, Brad, I we followed each other on Twitter a little bit. Haven't had the opportunity to meet you in real life, but um, you know, you are when I think of you, I think of you're the guy that's always being like, "Here's what I just watched," and it's something that I've never heard of. And I go and look at it up on Letterbox, and it has, if we're lucky, a handful of people that have actually watched and reviewed it. So I know that professionally, you're a curator. You're the person that's going and finding the stuff that needs some kind of a champion within the industry. Is that how you came to horror? Were you like an indie, off the beaten path guy from the very beginning? Uh, no, not really. It was, uh, mainly just my mother really loved horror films. So, um, and my dad didn't really watch them. So she wanted to watch them with somebody. So I started like around two or three watching like the basics, you know, like Halloween, Friday the 13th and everything. And I just got really into it from there. And, um, yeah, I mean, we would just go to the video store like once, twice a week and rent a bunch of stuff. And, um, yeah, I just, I was really like kind of hungry for it. And as I got older, I, I wanted more. So new video stores, you know, when we moved, we had the mom and pop places, which that was the gold mine for the, the oddities and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I just kept going and going and going. And then when I kind of ran out of horror films, I got into thrillers and then got into comedies and got into dramas and then started getting into world you know around the world stuff in my teens and then yeah i just became really obsessed trying to watch every single movie ever made that's kind of how it was that was my outlook and so yeah no i started going to tape trading conventions when i was in my teens um online trading when i was you know early teens uh i gotta i gotta pause there because this is the year 2022 for those of in the audience that actually don't know what a trade a tape trading convention is, can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so uh, I started going to tape trading conventions. Uh, so it had been 1998, probably. I was around 14 years old. There was some in Tampa and Orlando. So tape trading conventions was basically, you know, even though we frown upon it now, uh, is basically bootleg conventions. But in fairness, it was a lot of stuff that was unavailable in the U S you know, it was tape trading with, you know, Greek films, Polish films, you know, Indonesian cinema, German cinema, like, but like really kind of gritty. Um, sometimes no subtitles, that sort of thing, really heavy stuff, you know, even hardcore films you would end up getting accidentally. Well, when I was a kid, I would accidentally get them. Now I, you know, thrive and search for them but um but yeah it was just a, you know you would go with a batch of tapes uh to trade or you could just go up and purchase you know tapes uh because these people would make copies you know the only bad part is is sometimes you can get a you know fifth or sixth gen vhs tape so it's all cloudy and murky but still you're able to see something that no one else was watching or wasn't available in the u.s um at the time so, yeah, I got really into that. Um, towards my probably 15 or 16, I became friends, good friends with Sage Stallone. That's uh, Sylvester Stallone's son. He was he was older than me, but he um, he was big into this stuff, too. Uh, we met on, on, on horror uh, forums and stuff like that. And we started 
exchanging stuff back and forth. Um, he had access to a lot, but yeah. And it just kind of went from there and, you know, reading about this stuff, studying it, you know, wanting to go to film. Well, I did go to film school. Um, but yeah, went, you know, just I, anything film related, I just wanted to get my hands into it. And, uh, you know, I even dabbled into film criticism at one point, but that was mainly to get into, uh, film festivals. Cause that's what I really wanted to like, or really wanted to do. Cause it was, you know, there was new stuff coming out. It was like, you know, worldly films from all over the country and genre festivals sounded really cool. And instead of, <laughs> you know, paying $1,200 to go to a film festival, if you, covered it you'd at least get some of that for free um and that's honestly the reason why i did it and to kind of piggyback and go back i have met you and i remember you saying a specific thing saying i'm sorry i do not remember people when i meet them there it is <laughs> that's fantastic i am consistent i can give myself <laughs> but yeah no we, we i think we've met each other at a, a couple of fantastic fests through the um through the years and you would always apologize saying you don't remember names. So, but anyways, um, but yeah, no, I, I would, I, you know, film festivals were a lot of fun. I still go just because you're able to see stuff that you may not see ever again, because distribution's really tough. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of an outlet for me. And then I met a bunch of cool people, a lot of cool friends. And that's the reason why I kept going. Um, it was very accepting and it was, it's kind of weird because coming from kind of living in Pennsylvania, coming to Florida, being surrounded by no film people, unless you actually went to film school, it was kind of, it was very different going to a theater and coming out and talking about movies that wasn't, you know, Transformers or something like that. I don't know. Well, and it was also nice to, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Brad's mother and who, who adores me, of course. Brad's mother loves me. And uh, well, we saw uh, Halloween Kills at Beyond Fest and, you know, Brad kind of talking about where he came from and started watching movies with his mom that early, you know, like I he was telling me that stuff, too, in person. And I could tell just from sitting through that screening with Brad's mom uh, and Halloween, Halloween Kills, how much love she has for horror. And like, that was so cool to sit with both of them. And like your mom went crazy when Jamie Lee Curtis came out on stage. It was like, she was the loudest and the most excited person uh, for her to be yeah, there. And, she, like, she reacted very, very differently than what I thought she was going to react. Yeah. Like total fan out, but like, it was just so, it, you know, I know I'd known Brad for a little bit. I thought he hated me for a while because he's a dick online sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, this dude hates me. And then like we're playing Warzone, and he's just like, Oh yeah, you've really become a good friend. And I'm like, I thought you fucking hated me. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I remember that. I still bring that up. <laughs> yeah, well, he still brings it up, but like, it was just really nice to see that because you know everything Brad's saying, and then you see the person who inspired it, and you see the person who brought it on, and it was just like just a really nice moment. I'm like, oh, this is like putting so many pieces together. So that that was a very nice moment we shared. Yeah, that was cool to take my mom to something like that because I mean, you know, she, she, I mean, one of the very first batch of films was Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, it was all the big stuff. I mean, she she was really into the bigger stuff. She wasn't really into like the nitty gritty weird weird things i mean she does every once in a while but i mean she was big into slasher films that was her thing you know any slasher film you know any mass killer with a knife she was she was obsessed with and mm. um i've posted videos in the past on on twitter of my parents dressing up when i was three years old 
of dressing up as Freddy Krueger and Jason saying they're going to kill me and rip my guts out and stuff like that. So I was just, I was immersed in all of this at a very young age and I loved it. You know, it would probably look like child abuse maybe, but I, I endured it. I loved it. And um, yeah, I mean, it just got me more and more into it. Yeah. It, it's interesting. you talking about kind of, um, to go to go back a little bit to sort of the tape thing because we had a Richard Whitaker who's the culture editor at the Austin Chronicle. He grew up um, in the UK and was talking about the fact that there were a lot of movies that he that he thought that he'd seen and that had not he had not actually seen because the versions of them right. that made it um, to the UK were bootlegs. They had you know really shitty qualities or like even sections of them excised that they didn't even know about. So for those that weren't um, collectors during that period it's it's hard to overstate just how much like you think of like oh well there's a there's a the theatrical release and then maybe there's a director's release that came out and those are like the only two variations of it but for an entire generation of movie fans there were like multiple variations of films that were like floating and circulating and and it's really only i think at least i feel from a fan's perspective over the last 10 years that when people have taken the effort to curate and like go back and find multiple versions of films and actually say okay this is what the director wanted this is what the studio originally released. Do that kind of like investigatory piece that we actually have some kind of historiography to how these movies were released because for so long it was just like, this is what they had at the mom and pop video store. So this must be the version of the movie. Yeah, no, that, that that's, yeah, that's very common in other countries. And then, yeah, depending on how the sales work, you know, uh, you know, Germany might be into something else. So they do a different cut for Germany. You know, Japan might want something else. So they do a different cut for Japan. Um, so, yeah, there's there's multiple variations. They sometimes shoot in- inserts, you know, uh, sometimes they shoot uh, some like exploitation films would shoot hardcore inserts to market to another country and make it a, a porno even though there wasn't actually the actors aren't having sex in the film, but they would just shoot two random people having sex and then put it in the film just for a sales perspective. So, I mean, yeah, to, to find multiple variations and then, you know, you get into work prints like director's cut, theatrical cuts, international cuts, you know, I mean, that kind of goes, I, I always, uh, you know, cause some people don't understand that concept. I always tell them, you know, cause the big thing that was around, in the you know 2000s uh kind of mid 2000s was um anchor bay released this uh big box set of dawn of the dead and it had the international cut theatrical cut and the argento cut and that kind of showed people like this is what was out there so if you were overseas you were seeing seeing something completely different with the music with the edit the cop you know the comedies cut out in italy in dawn of the dead in argento's cut and that that type of thing but Honestly, it's everywhere. And there's this like thing right now where because of like the Zack Snyder thing, like release the Snyder cut, it, it's like every time someone finds out there's another cut of the movie, they're like, we'll, we'll release that. Well, every film has that. Mm-hmm. Every single movie has another cut. It's just, is it out there? Like, was it presented? Sometimes studios won't allow it. Sometimes directors won't allow it. But I mean, there's some, you know, you have your assembly cut, you have your work print, you have your director's cut. And then most of the time you have the theatrical cut that the studio wants to do, you know. And then if back in the 70s and 80s, you had a lot of international cuts, which that's not really typical today. Um, typically, honestly, it's just kind of one, a, a one one off. I, I don't really think that's 
it kind of stopped that i would say i don't know it was it's not that long ago because uh, i remember like going to the video store and like charlie's angels 2 i remember was the director's cut unrated mm. are you gonna unrated. see some boobs no it's like it's like a swear word you know in order to make it a pg-13 movie in in the in the in the theater that that's and that's kind of what the alternate cuts were um or you know some trims were down for you know scream gets a thing where it's like oh release the you know west craven cut a scream it's like 15 seconds and it's just some gore shots it's not doesn't add anything to the story it's not an alternate storyline or something that goes in depth or something that we're missing so yeah i mean every film has a different history it's it's never the same and and when you do discover these things with producers directors what it may be um you know i always ask like do you have a cut of the movie you know like what is what what did you want to do because, you know, at this point, if the studio doesn't own it anymore, then you can do whatever the hell you want. And that kind of happened with Surf, too, when we released that is, you know, we were putting it together. We had, you know, um, the negative for for, um, you know, for the theatrical cut. And we were talking to the director wanting to do like a commentary and interview. He was like, yeah, yeah, OK. You know, he's like, I don't you know, I'm not a big fan. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't like your own movie? And it turned out that he didn't like what they did to it because mm -hmm. he had a movie that he shot and then they went back, kind of took the movie away from him and they shot nude inserts. So they would just go out there and have some girls in a bikini and pop their top and shake their titties in the camera. And that's in the theatrical cut. And it seems like it's supposed to be there. But if you watch it, knowing that you're like, that's an insert. You know, that uh, that's not supposed to be there. So um, he told us, he's like, I have a whole different cut of this movie. And he only had it on uh, a tape master, a one inch. And he knew that a print was out there. And we actually ended up finding it and put that in, putting that on the Blu-ray as well. And he was very, very happy about that because his version was able to be seen. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, so many different things can happen when you when you talk to filmmakers I mean, it's not super common, but yeah, there's there's always alternate cuts of things. And I always like to do what the director wanted to, because that's mm -hmm. their vision. They're, they're the director, <laughs> you know, let them have what they need to, to put out there. It's it's what they envision the entire time. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, we think of this as something that used to happen more, right? Film films are like, oh, they used to have those creative battles and that those are things that don't necessarily happen anymore. But I mean, I think of just this past week when people were talking about the Criterion release of all things of Miller's Crossing and they cut the the Jesus Tom with the hair, ch the chair hit scene. People were talking mm -hmm. about that. So like films are not as static as we like to treat them, I think. Yeah, no. And, and, and I mean, th things are still being edited today, um, you know, and there's always those stories about directors, you know, like, you know, David Ayer was Suicide Squad and stuff coming out and saying, you know, that's not his. I mean, that, that's going to happen. Uh, but there's like, there is, um, or, you know, when Blockbuster, when corporation and Blockbuster was uh, a corporate, the, the corporate Blockbuster, not so much the franchises, but they were editing their own movies. They were editing the stuff out in order to be more family friendly. Because mm -hmm. um, I remember uh, we had a, uh, back in the day, because we lived up in the mountains in Pennsylvania, my mom would do tape to tape 
to 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 basically copy the movies because we would have to travel like three hours in order to rent anything. So we were kind of creating our own library. And uh, when we moved to Florida, there was tapes available. And I remember buying Halloween uh, from Blockbuster. It had the Blockbuster logo actually on it. Popped it in. PJ Souls drops the uh, sheet and the camera stops right here. And I'm like, well, that's not right. You're supposed to see PJ Souls boobs. And then I realized that Blockbuster was editing their own, like they were physically putting this out to purchase, not for rent, but they were putting this out and editing the movies, which is insane. And that's apparently, um, there's been a couple cases, I had them written down at one point, but Tubi is is editing some stuff uh, out of their films, some of the harder things. And it's still happening today. Um, and, and it's just, it's just, you know, we need to make sure and that's why physical media is kind of important because when you have physical media, you can't really have, uh, another, you know, channel or another platform edit the film because they can kind of do whatever they want. You know, you may not even know it. They might bleep out an F word that, that happens. And that happened with, um, when we were releasing the fear that, uh, you know, on VHS, people had it but the mass dvd that was produced was produced by a christian company and they put it out and they edited out all the sex in all the curse words and for years the only like for dvd the only way to watch that movie was this really chopped up christian version (laughs) like i don't even know why they acquired it if they're going to chop it Mm. up so much but it's 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 it, it is it it happens in certain variations and when it does like it 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 brings this whole level to censorship that i don't agree with but anyways that's a whole nother story yeah and i mean even if we're talking about recent examples like you know not to invoke the name of texas chainsaw right now of all times but like uh texas chainsaw massacre 3d you know we talk or people talk about you know how much they don't like it and how much it messes with continuity and things of that nature but then you hear that shots like you know, well, why is there a smartphone? Like they wouldn't use smartphones in that time period. Well, then you hear that the studio put that shot in, like the studio did that kind of stuff. And like, that wasn't the director's intent. That wasn't the writer's intent. Or in the same way of the like, do your thing, cuz the moment that either everyone hates or loves, that was something that the writer didn't put in. Like that was just something on the spot that like, again, the studio kind of called out. Um, And then, you know, like you hear about other things of the studio interfering and just doing little things, you know, not to give a bunch of examples because I'm sure it happens so often, but Freddy versus Jason and the one line where it's like people talk about it and like, you know, they use a slur and all of a sudden you find out that writers are like, yeah, we hate that line too. Cause we didn't write it. Like that's not in our script. Like it's something we didn't want in. And that's just the studio thought it was cool. So they, they told everyone on set that day to put that in. And like, you hear about that and like, that's not even getting into the censorship side of the conversation. And like, it is just wild to me that like, there aren't more director's cuts almost, but then again, it's like not up to the director. Like that's, it's up to the studio. It's up to who's financing and putting it out. And like, it is just, it's hard to stomach sometimes the idea that like a director or filmmaker or writer can put so much of their time into a product. And then, you know, the corporate machine comes in and just goes like, here's a terrible idea we're going to force into this movie. Yeah, no, no, it, it, there's, there's actually a really funny story with um, an evening with Kevin Smith when he did his college um, speaking tour. Mm-hmm. He he was talking about how he was hired to write, write the, the Superman movie. So he wrote Superman, and then John Peters asked him to come over and read it to him. 
And so he was like, what the fuck? I'll just give you the script. But he had like, he like laid on a couch and then Kevin Smith like was reading the fucking script that he wrote to him, which is super fucking weird. But um, he interrupted Kevin like halfway through or whatever and said, I want Superman to fight a giant spider. And Kevin Smith was like, why would he fight a giant spider? He doesn't fight giant spiders. And so ultimately he didn't get the gig. Well, then like two years later, Wild Wild West came out and they fight that giant mechanical spider. And that was John Peters produced, uh, you know, his production. And he like got basically finagled his giant spider request in another movie, uh, which is on a side note. In Licorice Pizza, Bradley Cooper's character is John Peters. Yeah. Which is really funny. Yeah. And the portrayal is hilarious. The portrayal is hilarious. Yeah, I know. I mean, that, that's exactly right. I, I don't think a lot of people know how awful John Peters is as a producer. But yeah, that's he 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 is uh he's one of those that thinks he knows best. And a lot of producers do, like, especially back in the 70s and 80s, they have an idea that they think is good. Oh, this movie's popular at the theater right now. Let's let's do a scene like that. And, you know, the movie will be finished and they'll hire somebody else to go out and, you know, shoot uh, an insert and then put it in the movie and the director won't even know. Um, I, I've heard stories about how the director didn't know that something was in the movie until they were sitting at the premiere. You know, it, it's, it, 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 that doesn't happen as much now, but it used to happen a lot back in the day, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, we don't want that, (laughs) you know, and and it's, and it's kind of hard to like stray away from certain things because if a director came through and said, well, I didn't want this, this, and this, well, if that's, what's been available for 30 years, we're not going to cut it because you don't want it anymore. Like if there's an alternate cut of the movie, sure. But we've, there's been requests from filmmakers saying, Oh, can we put some CG here or, you know, take out this? And it's like, Oh no, because then you're altering the product. I understand like maybe it was altered during the, 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 in the editing bay, but as far as what people know and love, why would you change it? You know, and, and, you know, I, not to get canceled or anything, but if they started fucking with Freddy versus Jason, that would, I think that would be messed up, you know? And honestly, honestly, like, I know there's like a thing where they, they are like, oh, let's edit this out. Let's edit this out. But I honestly think it's a whole learning experience too. Like it's, it's actually like, I remember watching uh, 16 Candles with uh, my daughter. She was probably around 14 and we were watching it and she's like, wait a second, they're going to rape her. And I was like, yeah, yeah, kind of, <laughs> you know, that that's essentially what he says to do. And she's like, well, that's, that's not right. And I was like, no, it's not. But I was like proud that she was identifying with that. Like that was wrong, but I don't want to see that movie altered in any way. It, I, I think it's important to learn from those experiences. So like, yeah, I, that's why I don't like censorship. <laughs> I guess that's what it circles back to. Yeah, that's a giant conversation to have on, you know, addressing. That's a different film. show. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, well, it's like addressing films on addressing past films on current cult- culture versus like 
you know, current films on col- current culture. Like we're allowed to be commenting on the way newer newer films are made. And like Amelia, yeah, let Buzzfeed do it. You know, let yeah. them write their articles. Well, yeah, and like Amelia tweeted it way better. So go find her tweet about it. But like <laughs> that, that being the message, like that is just such a larger com- conversation. Yeah. Well, I we're going to talk specifically about how a lot of the stuff that we've talked to now applies to today's film. Um, so we're going to have an opportunity to kind of get in the weeds on, on how the acquisition development process went through for, for Norway. But before we do that, um, can you give us like the, the brief summary of, of, and it doesn't have to be that brief, but the summary of how you go from concept or idea or title that you like to actually having physical DVDs on the shelf or physical 4k media on the shelf. What is that? You know, kind of for, for somebody who says like, I don't know how a movie comes to go from like something that played for a week in Greece and now is playing like, you know, I have a really beautiful, like high design physical release sitting on my shelf. How does that process go for, for you and for the distributors that you work for? Well, I thought you were going to ask me to explain Norway. And no, uh, we're not I, there yet. I, I we'll get there. And I was we'll like, get there. I've seen that movie eight times. I don't know if I can actually give a synopsis of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it all depends like for, for, for Norway, Norway was a film. I saw a fantastic fest when it played and, um, you know, I, it was presented to me as a vampire that if he stops dancing, he'll die. And I was like, well, I'm sold automatically. I'll go watch it. And then, you know, I, I went in and, uh, you know, seeing the film and, it, it stuck with me and so immediately i mean we'll talk about the design and all, all mm-hmm. the actual film itself later but i left the theater thinking like holy shit you know this is this is really great and i was far from doing anything in the distribution side of things at this point um and it was just one of those films like probably a lot of people that a lot of critics that see movies at film festivals is like when is this coming out so I can repost my review. I can, you know, talk about it because you can only talk about it, a movie so much that's not available. And this movie just never came out. It came out in Greece, and I think maybe it was on it was on DVD, and I think maybe it had English subtitles, um, but it only had distribution in Greece, as far as I know. So it was a film that kind of stuck with me, like you know, where is that going? What's going on with this? And then um, I started uh, doing um, acquisitions at Wild Eye Releasing. That was one of my very first gigs. And um, I was like, oh, there's that movie Norway. I don't know if that would really fit on this label, but I do love this movie. And so I'm just going to try. And of course, it just didn't work out because that's not what wild eye really releases (laughs) so that kind of that kind of went away and then you know i started uh working at you know vinegar syndrome and then i got on the acquisitions team there um that norway never came up with that because we only do movies that are shot on film from the 70s 80s 90s uh it has to be shot on film this is obviously shot digitally um so when terrorvision was starting to happen with ryan um in uh from Graveface, uh you know because he has television records uh you know i was helping him develop a uh getting a very not underseen because it's music uh hard to find music tracks for a movie 
that I knew that there is a plethora of music that was never used in the movie. So I was, I was getting all of this uh, together. It was like 50 tracks or something. It's not out yet. Um, but got about 50 tracks together. Then he was like, well, what about the movie? You know? And I was like, you know, what about it? And he was like, well, what if we put it out? Like, what if we created a distribution company? And I said, well, you know, that's actually really interesting because I kind of wanted to do that before Vinegar Syndrome anyway. But then when I started calculating what it would cost uh, from beginning to end, it was like $50,000. And I was like, I, I can't. If my movie, if the one movie that I put out bombs, I'm not going to be able to do another one. And I'm going to be in debt <laughs> with that for, right. for a long time. So it kind of gave me an avenue to do that. Uh, unfortunately, the, the movie wasn't available. But then we started talking about actually bringing some of these oddities because there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, shot digitally shot on video that doesn't get enough love. Even with all these distribution companies that exist from overseas to the United States, there's so many movies that just don't get distributed. Um, and so we had our first film was WNF Halloween and, um, which was a, a lot of fun to release. And then I brought up Norway and um, I said, I've been trying to get a home for this movie for years. And it's just, you know, it's, it's right here. It's going to cost us X amount of dollars. No one's going to watch this movie, but it's just something that, you know, I am very, very adamant about because it was just a movie that, that just didn't leave me. Like after I watched it, it's, it's such a bizarre picture and it really, really had an effect on me. And I was like, you know, it's just something that I kind of want to do. Like I want more eyes on this movie and, and see what could happen. I was never expecting Norway to blow up, you know, one foreign films don't do very well. And that's just how the distribution wise. So if people always ask, well, why isn't this movie available and it's foreign? because it's a foreign movie distributors are scared to do that we weren't scared we just kind of knew the truth behind it and just hoping that people would actually pick it up but yeah that's kind of how it all happened it's just that i was very adamant about releasing this movie and getting the rights to it and putting it out in the u.s and uh yeah and i mean it happened it was it was solely that fantastic best screening that i saw that created that Blu-ray on the shelf. That's that's the reason. And no, no one. It was it was a lot of me just telling people like we should do it. Like it was. It's hard to believe that the film will do well. Mm. You know, that's just that's just the nature. But it was. It's honestly like a passion project in a in a vanity sort of way because I just wanted to have the movie out there. You know, and there's other movies like that for me, too. But that's honestly kind of the, the truth behind it. So we're going to go into talking about Norway. And you've got quite the sales pitch from Brad, who says, I can't explain it. Um, nobody's going to watch it. Like, nobody wants this, which is, I mean, you're, you know, it, you're not in marketing. You're in acquisition, so it's fine. <laughs> um, but when we come back, we're going to we're gonna try and unpack Norway. And maybe we'll we'll get a little a little closer to understanding why it did not leave you for so many years. So stick with us, it's Norway time.
Hello, my friends and listeners. It is Matt Monagle here, speaking from the past and encouraging Matt Donato to share this week's bumpers on our little uh, certified forgotten interstitial. It's the weirdest intro I've done yet, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change the fucking word of it. So let's go, Donato. What we got? Yeah, I'm gonna keep rolling on this weird track you put us on. And our it's, first, it's, it's a weird day. Keep go ahead. I weird day, weird everything, weird weird life. So first up is Steph who always likes to bring us questions and always likes to make us answer in interesting different queries. So this one from Steph is both variations of the Muppet casting question. If you could make Kermit the lead in any horror movie, which one would it be? And then flip it. If you could keep the lead actor of any horror movie and replace the rest of the cast with Muppets, what would it be? Do you have an answer or do you want me to go first? You know, I find that it's often it's often best if you just react and just your reaction is correct. Um, I was trying to think, all right, what is a, what is a film with like a, a, a final boy, right? Or something to the equivalent of a final boy. Cause that would, it's what would work for, for uh, Kermit. So I'm going to say the answer to both is final destination. Kermit can be uh, the main character or everybody, um, everybody else's Muppets, whichever one works. I think, I think the movie holds pretty well either way. So I'm going to say final destination. All right, so I'm going to interpret the question to mean, well, actually not to mean, but like I'm going I'm to use it in a slasher sense and I'm going to go with the icons and I'm going to replace Freddy Krueger, or sorry, Robert England technically, with Kermit so that you have a Nightmare on Elm Street, which is Kermit as Freddy Krueger because I just want to see that. And then if we flip it around and we need a whole cast to be Muppets, I'm going to take Friday the 13th and I'm going to have Jason Voorhees hunting camp counselors who are Muppets. That is that is my dream scenario in both both uh, answers. That's pretty good. And you know, somewhere somebody has done like a Kermit skin oh, for yeah. Dead by Daylight or something like that, and it's just it's exquisite. Yeah, I I totally because like I was trying to think of other you know puppet horror and things like that. Like Frank and Zed came out recently, uh, or I don't even know if it did come out officially yet, but it played the festivals at least. In any case, like I've seen puppet gore before. I've seen. Mm-hmm how things can go in the puppet atmosphere in a horror story. So like, yeah, I just want to see Jason Voorhees uh, just macheteing Muppets. I, I think there's just a a, a comfortable <laughs> humor factor to that. I don't know. Strong meet the feebles energy. Absolutely. So should I jump into number two? Let's do it. All right. This is coming from Corey. And Corey also likes to ask questions. Corey has brought for us a question today. Do either of you enjoy other kinds of horror media like games, books, toys, etc.? In parentheses, I kind of know the answer, but that's not the point! Exclamation part. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. You're setting us up a little too nicely. Um, yes, I aspire to read a ton of horror fiction. Um, I, I have a bunch of different, like, I have curated a lot of my TikTok playlists by, like, book talk stuff that deals specifically with horror books, and I've got a, a, a laundry list of titles that I'm trying to catch up on. Um, my wife and I are actually listening to a horror novel uh, on our walks with our dog right now uh, through an audiobook. So that's a big piece of it. Of course, there's some video game action. You've heard Donato and I talk about that in the past, but I'm increasingly hoping to add a horror tabletop to that mix as well, because just today, um, which you can probably figure out when this was recorded, they announced a Dead by Daylight board game. And, you know, friend of the show, Freddie Carlini also has Mixtape Massacre, which is another slasher-themed board game. So I think I love the idea of coming together and then trying to murder your friends. So horror is is it's 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 the the thing that I love across all media. 
uh, and across all types of entertainment. So it's definitely not not just film. Yeah, and I mean, the answer for me, I think I've brought up a few other examples too. So, I mean, video games, of course, we're going to gravitate towards your Resident Evils. And we've, Monica and I have talked about playing the Friday the 13th game and mm-hmm. how I tend to play as Jason. Uh, so I'm very excited to tackle uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre when that game comes out. And video games, I'm definitely looking for survival horror. I love that vibe, even like Warzone uh, when they go scary. Like, I still haven't changed between Billy and uh, Ghostface as my two character costumes. Um, and then other things like, you know, books, too. I mean, I I, I tend to gravitate towards horror comics uh, and I, I don't mm-hmm. read them as much as I used to. But definitely Hack Slash is one of my favorite comic franchises out there. And I have all the uh, basically everything you can own of Hack Slash. So huge, huge props to that. And I do love like, you know, something like Alien versus Predator or something of that nature when they do a spinoff comic series. So I am looking outside the box for that, too. I mean music i am very much drawn to ice nine kills and i'm very much drawn to some of these bands that really do soak in the horror aesthetic so it, it film is always what we think about for horror and television as well but i, I think you know horror bleeds into so much more media and i'm i'm here for all of it yeah and i like that you brought up comic books uh, graphic novels too donato because one thing that i try and do every now and then that i'd recommend for anybody is if you have a library card and you have access to libby uh, a lot of digital, really good uh, horror graphic novels, because they tend to be one shots or limited runs, are available for you to actually just read and download onto your mobile devices. So, if you like, if you like the idea, or if you like horror graphic novels, get your library card out, go onto Libby or a related site that allows you to stream and download content from your local library, and see what they have. Because I've read like a ton of Hellraiser comic books using the Libby app from the Austin Public Library, and it's really fun and interesting and engaging stuff push outside your comfort zone do it well not too far it's still horror all right well that was actually that was probably one of our better bumpers in terms of like talking about stuff that we'd enjoyed so um i guess let's get back like read read more graphic novels read more books have fun with that but let's get back to the show Welcome back. So this week on the show, we're talking about a 2014 Greek film called Norway. Uh, Most of the information that I have about the film comes from the interview with the director that was released on the Blu-ray, which uh, Brad probably knows some of that information too, since, you know, he released it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and impress you with knowledge that I've gleaned from the one source that I had, because there's just not a lot available about this online. The very short log line I will give this for you is the movie is set place in 1984 in Athens. There is a vampire. He does like to dance. Um, and then stuff happens from there. We'll get into that. This is, this is, we're going to talk about the ending because you can't not talk about the ending because we're not afraid of that. So we'll get to that in a minute and you'll understand probably why this is such a what the fuck movie for a lot of folks. You talked about seeing this at Fantastic Fest um, and why this stood out for you. Was there any was there any elements of this that you sort of gravitated towards? Because in in the I said I was going to talk about it, but in in the um, interview piece, uh, the director Giannis Vaslemis talks about how he felt that he was early to the '80s wave, and that there was this whole boom throughout the 2010s, where like any filmmaker, and especially any genre filmmaker who was 
worth his salt was like coming out with a synth wave eighties film that was inspired by Goblin and Carpenter and all this. And do you remember that being something that stood out to you at the time or was it all the other stuff that was going on? No, I honestly, I didn't know that until Giannis told me when we Hmm. were talking on Facebook about him doing the interview. Um, So what really pulled me into and I gravitated towards was it was very reminiscent to um, a lot of 80s Greek movies, along with a lot of stuff uh, from the 70s from from Poland. Certain aspects of the cinematography, um, the zaniness of it, I really gravitated to to that. It reminded me a lot like, uh, you know, Zulkin's films from Poland. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's some Greek movies like The Pervert and things like that that have these really weird setups to where it becomes kind of like mythical fantasy dreamlike. Mm. And... A lot of Polish films are like that, especially in the 70s, especially the sci-fi movies. So really loving like Zulkin's work and and things like that. When I was sitting there watching it and it starts off and it, you know, of course, you know, the 80s is everybody loves the 80s, you know, so the setting felt, you know, familiar, which I enjoyed. The, The music was original, but it had a very you know, soft sell, you know, type vibe. And, uh, you know, it was kind of horror elements, but with between the kind of the, between the cinematography, the set design, um, the miniatures that are used in the film, it just, it took the movie to another level for me. It made me kind of forget this movie was from 2000. I think it was shot in 2012. But, you know, watching it in 2014, it didn't, it felt like a period piece from back then. Like I was like warped in like the Twilight Zone or something. Yeah. So I kind of gravitated towards, towards that, especially like the production side of things, because certain things look like a set, certain things look like paintings. Like it was just a very, very beautiful movie with this bizarre ass fucking storyline, but it also had like kick ass music. So, like, everything that I really love about cinema is in this 70-minute movie. It has the horror elements. It has some comedy. It has great music, because I've always, you know, sometimes I even say that I know more about music than I do about movies. Um, But with the music side of things, uh, the production's design, the the cinematography is just beautiful. It's it's uniquely photographed. Um, just everything was just, I just felt like I was watching like a live painting, like at a museum. Mm-hmm. And that's what really pulled me into it. And I just, I just kind of fell in love with it from there. Uh, Donato, you are one of two people to have reviews for this film um, from noted film critics and author.com. And it is, um, it's a like it's a glowing review. You love this film, and I assume you must have seen it in 2014. And you, the moment that Brad brought this on the show, you were blowing up my DMs and being like, "I can't wait for you to watch this, man." So, what was what was your reaction having seen this as, as somebody who had kind of like a similar experience to Brad? Saw it at a festival, fell in love. 
Yeah, and exactly that. Like, I, I had the same experience that Brad was describing before, and I didn't even get to see it in the theater. I'll say this outright. This is the first movie I ever saw associated to Fantastic Fest. So, like, this is my first Fantastic Fest. I think possibly my first festival ever, because I think I started with Fantastic, and then I started doing South by, uh, like, this in the same kind of block. So it was the night before I even flew to Austin, and I was like, all right, I've got some time to kill. I'd love to get a head start. Like, I'm a fresh-faced critic, like there's going to be a lot of movies for me to see. So I got to see as many as I can beforehand. Any case, I'm like, well, there's this 70 minute weirdo, bizarre film about a vampire who can't stop dancing or he dies. And sure, I've got 70 minutes to kill. I can do this. So I put it on and just the same, like, I won't echo much of what Brad said already, but that's what drew me into like the idea that like this movie was so carefree and it loved what it was doing. And it loved being this oddity in this weirdo film and like the comparisons that I immediately started thinking of, like at the time, like Kaufman films and Gondry films, and it has that kind of like just out there spacey kind of vibe. And it's just about a vampire going through discotheques and like this Euro sleaze kind of overlay. And, you know, now that it's years later and I've seen the lore, I, I really play like the lore and um, Norway in the same kind of hand. Like those two movies go so well together. And Norway stands out a little more to me even because it just gets so much weirder at points. You know, the style is so beautiful. The painting stuff that Brad was saying, like it, it just feels like an art installation at points, but it is still so much fun. It is still so zany and off the wall and crazy. So I'm watching this movie and it's 2014. And like I start my Fantastic Fest before even getting to Fantastic Fest with my favorite movie that year. And then nothing like absolutely no noise on it. Every single year, I'm like looking, I'm like, where, like Norway had to come out already. Like where, what distro label took it up? What picked it up? And, you know, it literally took until 2022. So like, this is, I, I was so excited to get you to watch it first and just to get it like in your system and to hear what you had to say about it. But also because this is the quintessential kind of certified forgotten movie. This is why we do the podcast. Like we talk about these movies that we see at a festival, they stick with us, they don't leave. And they, how many years, like 2014 to 2022, that's how long it just sat around and no distribution mm. company wanted to take the gamble on it until Henderson came along. So it's like, it, it was just, we had to talk about it. And my review wasn't even on Rotten Tomatoes for a little while too, which is hilarious. So like it only had a single review for a long time by some other Matt who gave it a negative and fuck that Matt. There's too many Matt's man. We got to call the herd a little bit. We really do. Um, yeah, it's, and it's interesting because this is, you think that this would be, especially in years past, like this should be a Fantastic Fest buzzy title, right? Like this is this is everything that the, the people that I talk to and that I've gotten to know that have been going to Fantastic Fest for years and years, this is the kind of film they say that they miss or want more of or like wish there was more stuff like this. So, you know, you think about that and you think about the fact that like, well, Fantastic Fest programs, what? Somewhere, somewhere between 25 and 50 films, if that, every year. And like still within that small of a window, stuff can fall through. And you're like, well, gosh, what hope is there for any filmmaker ever, especially an international one, to kind of like pop off? If if in a festival designed to spot like stuff like this, this can still kind of fall through the cracks a little bit. It's wild. And it's great to hear both of you talk about your experience with it, because like there have definitely been films that I've seen um, at film festivals where I just like look around and I'm like, I, I, I don't know why we aren't just like, why, why, why we just didn't stop the festival right here because like, there's no point in going on because this is as good as it's going to get. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of oddities that play, you know, at festivals and um, a lot of them do get, 
kind of forgotten about. And I've said this before, and I, and I still think it's kind of stayed true today, is that Norway was before its time and it still is. I just, I don't think people are still ready for this. I, I don't know when, because, you know, I average probably about between 1,000 and 1,200 movies a year. And I would say 80% are always new to me. I've never seen anything like Norway, mm. even with all the zany, crazy shit I've seen overseas. You know, it, there's it, it's like every element is put into Norway in 70 minutes. And that's what is so fascinating, you know, because somebody would run this for two hours and try to expand the lore and everything. I mean, Hitler, Nazis are even in this movie. You know, and it's like, it's just, everything's kind of funneled in. And and I'm not here to say that Norway's a wonderful, great movie. Like, it's revolutionizing cinema. Um, It was just something that really affected me. It's even hard for me to even describe what Norway is. Even the director has a difficult time. Like, it's, I mean, honestly, the movie is, is, it was created out of nothing. It wasn't like some story that he, it really is. I mean, he is a musician. He does music videos and things like that. I mean, it shows. I mean, Norway's this long ass music video. Um, So it's just, it's, it's, it's something to spotlight production design, cinematography, music, and just creativeness. And it's like an art piece. You know, you're not getting the fucking Matrix storyline here. You're not getting anything like that. You're getting something, probably even, uh, you're getting something incoherent in a way. (laughs) Uh, Basically, you're getting a movie as when Neo talks to the architect, you're like, what is actually happening here? That's kind of how you are the whole time watching Norway. I'm not going to tell you you're going to watch something that's great. You're going to watch something that you've never seen before or probably will see uh, variations ever like it again. So it's it's almost like going to an art exhibit. Like mm-hmm. you don't tell somebody to go to a museum because, oh my God, these this painting is means this, this painting means this. You're like, no, go, because this is actually kind of fascinating. You know, that's kind of how I present Norway is that just watch it because it's a fascinating movie. Like, I'm not going to give you the breakdown of the plot other than trying to entice you that it's about a vampire that can't stop dancing or it'll die, you know? And that's just one of the comedic aspects to it. That's not even what the fucking movie's about, (laughs) you know? Like, it's it's so much more uh, than that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's basically like it's in Giannis's brain of doing kind of this long ass music video. Yeah, and I think that's why I sell it so hard to people and why I want them to at least take a shot at it because it is something, like, you're not going to see. And uh, I really like the low-budget aspect of it and the way that Giannis works because he's just a smart filmmaker making creative choices on a low budget. And it's little things like, okay, there has to be a sequence where the main character is, like, traveling by train. But, you know, maybe we don't have access to trains or can't put up the money to actually do this correctly. So let's just use miniatures. And like it just cuts to like a little miniature train, just like going past plastic trees. And that just it just adds these elements of like such creative freedom. Yeah. And, and it doesn't take you out of it. Right. Like it, it feels natural. It feels like it, 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 it feels like it's supposed to be there. It's not jarring. But that's because of you know the, the matting of the, the cinematography that the, it matches exactly what the movie looks like, because 
you know, you're not watching a movie that has a lot of depth where you're seeing city skylines and these wide establishing shots. No, you're in kind of close quarters into corners and clubs and it's kind of claustrophobic, you know, anytime they're in a car, the camera is right there. Uh, some of the shots that are a little bit wider look like they're actually on a fucking stage. So when you see a miniature come out, it's not jarring because it kind of fits the rest of the movie. So it's uniquely structured as far as that. It's super smart because any time that we watch a disaster movie from the fucking seventies or a Godzilla movie and they're trampling on toys, it's like, Oh, you know, where they're putting that 30 gallons of water and knocking down these little trees. It just, it it takes you out of the movie because it's obviously that doesn't belong there. That's fake. Norway kind of does the miniatures thing as well, but it doesn't take you out of the movie. You recognize that it's a miniature, but you're also watching this dreamlike fantasy movie and anything could happen. So it all feels natural. Um, And then, you know, this team kind of partnered together with another movie that played at Fantastic Fest in 2019 called Cosmic Candy. And it kind of follows suit with kind of the same same format, same feel. Like, I mean, these guys are kind of coming out of left field and creating some content that no one else is really creating. Uh, I think Cosmic Candy is probably a better film um, because it's more like with its storyline per se. Uh, Norway, I don't really think has much of a storyline. Even just the, the, the back of the, the, the synopsis is something structured by me. And I have no idea what I even said because they were like, can you write a synopsis? And I'm like, sure. I don't think so. (laughs) Just put Donato's quote in the back and just let him do the work. Yeah. I was like, let me, let me see what I, and I think what I did is I was like, let me read every booklet or thing that festival said about this movie and then I'm just going to read it, sleep on it, and then cobble that together and just kind of plagiarize it all. Because <laughs> you know? that's like, that, I, it's like, I think that we're all on the same page. It's like we're trying. And then I was reading him and I was like, everybody's kind of saying the same thing. Because I think it's like, we just write down what we see, you know? And it's just like, you know, Athens 1984. Photos of Xeno goes in, a vampire that can't stop dancing, but he's looking for you know, a woman to suck her blood, you know, like that's pretty much it. And then Nazis are involved at some point, you know? And we're going to talk about the Nazis in, in just a second, because I, that's such a, a nice point, but I want to double back a little earlier, Brad, you were talking about um, influence of this film, how it reminds you of uh, Polish filmmakers. And I think Donato's heard me say this many times that uh, my criteria for an interesting film is if somebody could write a really good college essay about it. And I think part of, I, I haven't studied Polish cinema, but I was lucky enough to take, when I was in grad school, I studied Hungarian cinema and I studied Ukrainian cinema and sort of this history of Eastern European cinema post-World War II, when they were trying to build these national cinemas out of nothing, when they were falling into magical realism, because it sort of allowed them to process a lot of the emotions of, of the post-war environment. This is a movie that is so tapped into that ethos. And it's it's interesting because it's not, it doesn't feel like a period in in world cinema history that a lot of filmmakers look to for inspiration. But I think, I think you hit the nail on the head and obviously it's a huge influence there that like these movies that were coming out in, in late fifties throughout the 1960s that were doing the sort of things that Norway was doing, 
you go and you study, you read about it, you watch these movies, there's a lot of narrative, creative production common ground between a lot of Eastern European bloc filmmakers that were working during that time period. And it's interesting, and I, I think it really adds to that idea that like, you know, maybe maybe you're not going to get the average moviegoer that's going to watch this and geek over this, but I guarantee you that if this becomes just a little bit better known, it's going to pop up on a lot of syllabuses because I feel like this is connective tissue. It's it's a way to double back and, and talk about inspirations. And Donata, you mentioned the lure earlier too, exactly that as well. Like the, this is the kind of movie that allows us to talk about the past in a way that is immediate and now. And I think that's super fascinating. Yeah, no, I hope in 50 years, you know, people are like, oh shit, this movie existed. Because I think that's still happening now. And it's and it's really happened kind of with Polish cinema in the past like 10 years, 10, 15 years. Because some of these films are really hard to find. Uh, and they were never subtitled or dubbed by any means. And and I think, you know, these countries, they they are proud of their, their work. Uh, and they're proud of... Uh, these films that were channeling, like you said, a lot of emotions and and politics, you know, politics don't belong in horror movies, right? Politics yeah. has existed in horror movies, like, I mean, since the beginning of time, 1930s, Dracula's daughter started with it, with uh, lesbians. Universal was able to put lesbians in a movie in theaters in 1930. That's crazy. You know, Vietnam created a shit ton of horror films, you know? Um, but yeah, every country has their own thing that they were going through between wars. And I mean, I mean, Poland alone has like some terrible things have, have happened. Um, you know, Russian cinema, I mean, all of it, but yeah, I, I think a lot of what is going on and, you know, maybe Giannis hasn't really tapped into explaining that, but obviously a big portion of what nor why Norway was created was all up in him, like of things that he grew up with and knew all putting. So even subconsciously putting some of this stuff together for, like you said, the Eastern European cinema, it was just, there's just so much. Uh, if you, if it wasn't as polished and pretty, it does feel like something from the seventies. Even though it's set in 1984, it feels it has a lot of elements of the 70s, especially with those sci-fi films. Um, and I think again, that's kind of what pulled me into it, because at times I was like, "Where? Like, what is this? You know, like where? What? What am I actually watching?" And and it's not a bad thing. It was just it was like, I mean, it's never a bad thing too, because if we're pulled in by something like that, I mean. That's where we want to be. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, it was it was just so cool to see something so different. And I mean, yeah, if you're a, a critic or you're just watching, watch a movie a day, I mean, a lot of things kind of run together, you know? You know there's a lot of films that just kind of keep going, same thing over and over and over. And it, you know, that's, I think that's, uh, that's the beauty of, of watching these movies and, and feeling something new and, and fresh. Yeah. I, so I think the other part of the conversation too, actually is um, kind of subgenres in horror as well, uh, because this came out in 2014 and just talking about like vampire movies, like they kind of looked a certain way uh, and we, we got very used to like twilight in the, in the mainstream and, you know, vampires just kind of being like Dracula untold and uh, things of that nature. And then 
you come out with a vampire film that just doesn't look anything like the vampire movies that you have been watching in so long. I think that like that excited me where that might turn other people off. I mean, even the, the smallest details that Giannis takes, like the, the blood, like the blood changes colors for people based on just like, you know, the blondish character is like bleeding this like yellow blood. And then you like you get blue blood in another scene, like pouring out of someone. And it is so over stylized. Like it is so nice to look at. And like, like just the whole film has this like seedy seduction running through it. And again, that's why I kind of bring up the lore and that's why I tie it so close to the lore. Cause it, the music video element works. The, the tone works like everything about it works but it is indescribable in so many moments and it is just pulling from different different little narratives here and there and just little influences over here and there and i it, it's it's so hard to sell but I, I i'm i'm drawn to movies by uh, music video directors i think a little more because again I, I love a movie that runs on the rhythm of song and beat and tempo and that is like norway to like like almost I've never seen like it is continual motion and it's really from like a musical standpoint like it, it's this crossbreed between music and cinema that like man like I, I I don't know how you pull it off that seamlessly and 70 minutes is the perfect time for it like literally 70 minutes is exactly what this movie needs to be I'm gonna start telling people this is an adaptation of Beat Saber because you know kind of works kind of works Beat Saber <laughs> Hey, whatever you can do to talk people into seeing it, because I, I don't I don't do a very good job. <laughs> yeah, and also his bank account depends on it. <laughs> the more, okay, the more people that see Norway by buying the terror <laughs> terror release, that helps Mr. Henderson out. So if anything, it's it's good charity work. Well, last question for both of you then. Um speaking of charity, will we ever get tired of watching people either stand up to or try and kill Hitler? even in contemporary cinema, because that came so out of left field. And yet it's from a, uh, at the, the end of the movie, it's revealed that the people that the, run the nightclub and that the main character has been with um, have discovered that he's a vampire and want him to turn their faithful leader because he's apparently still alive. And up until that point in the film, I was, I was with it. I was like, I'm experiencing this. I don't know if I'm engaging with it, but like it's washing over me and I'm having a good time with it they use that to develop their main character in really interesting ways. And, and you learn a lot about him in a very short period of time. And it's sort of like, how are, how are we still making Hitler relevant and useful and creatively good in a lot of interesting ways in 2022? Right. Cause that's a good, that's a, that's a great beat. And that's a great concept that if you ever tried to tell me ahead of time, it's like, Oh, you know, and then they, they try and get him to bite Hitler. I would, I would be like, God, fuck no, God damn, no, but it really, really works. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that is, uh, I, I mean, I think that just follows suit with, and maybe Giannis hasn't really touched on it, but again, with all the stuff that was going on in Europe, uh, it's just, it is kind of like a time capsule that, that's wrapped up in this weird enigma and oddity. Like, it's, like I said, again, I'm so bad at explaining and talking about this movie, <laughs> even though I've been the biggest champion of it, probably the like the biggest champion of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoy unique movies and I enjoy when unique movies look great and there's actually a, a lot of talent behind it. You know, um, it's, it, it's, it's borderline. And, and honestly, instead of calling it like a thriller, a comedy, a horror film, it's really just an experimental movie. 
and you you know it's hard to talk about experimental movies because it's like mm-hmm. well it it doesn't really mean much it's it's experimental and i think that's kind of what norway falls into it is kind of this experimental uh trip and maybe if you do a little drugs while watching it you might enjoy it a little bit more or see something that we don't but yeah no i i, I just think it's it's one of a kind and you can't really say that too 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 often about any movie in uh any year like there's many right. years where i'm like well i mean there's great movies every year but there's it's 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 hard to find an oddity like that you know that's well made yeah and i think what speaks to that even more is the fact that like you know we're all film critics or film people who go to festivals and we've been going to festivals for so long and at least for my money um i norway still stands as one of the movies i remember best from fantastic fest and it's one of those films that how many other fantastic fest movies have i seen since 2014 like i i can't count i've seen so many movies of fantastic fest by this point but the very first one is still one that sticks with me and i think it's for that reason where you just said like there's a lot of generic movies out there like like and there's nothing wrong with most of them like you can make a dramatic yeah i mean movies movie. are fine yeah exactly movies are good movies are fine like that's totally cool but yeah. when you see something that is so of itself and unique and you, you you can't describe it like there i think there is a special quality to a film that gets into the can't describe phase where listen you're either probably going to love it or hate it uh i i don't know what to do about that but i'm always going to pick the movie that i'll either love or hate and give a chance to that that is going to stick with me for freaking however many years at this point then the one that like is just filler time at a festival and like just plays that like midday slot that you see and you only go to it so you can go to the Alamo draft house and eat lunch during it. Like I'm, I'm always going to be there for that 11 AM. And I think it was on Kaylin Corrigan's episode, uh, rattle the cage. And she kind of just mentioned like, listen, that 11 AM slot at a fantastic fest is like where I saw rattle the cage. That's where I've seen some of the most obscure films at that festival programs. Cause they put it at that 11 o'clock slot for a reason. Like they know people at 11 AM, probably aren't going to be likely to show up so they put that thing that they're either going to love or hate it's the one that is the biggest gamble but like hey we programmed it we tried to give it an audience so we'll see what happens there so you know i think that probably was the kind of the same thing with norway but i i just i i just can't recommend it enough for that one reason alone yeah there was there was a movie that i saw at 11 a.m and i agree with you uh, i don't know what year it was but it was called the creeping garden and it was about a documentary about mold <laughs> and I saw that at 11 a.m. And I'm sitting there like, what am I doing? This is really good, but like, what the fuck are we watching right now at 11 a.m.? Like, take anybody off the street and put them in the theater, <laughs> even if they watch movies and be like, hey, these guys in here are watching at 11 a.m. watching a documentary about mold. And there were like four other options to pick from too. Cause like Fantastic Fest has <laughs> yeah, other movies at that slot and you still yeah. picked the documentary about mold to go watch at 11 a.m. That was a conscious yeah. choice. You definitely watch the creeping garden arrow, put it out on Blu-ray and it, it is really fascinating, but it's something that you don't want to watch at 11 a.m. After staying up till like three, the previous night from a party and then getting up, trying to make that quota of your film so you can write about them at 11 a.m. Don't ever do it. Because I was like, it felt like I was on drugs watching a fucking doc about mold. Which would have been the perfect time to see Norway, though. That, that is the perfect state to see Norway. And I think, you know, yeah. talking about the indescribable, if I can just leave 
anyone listening with like a little bit more guidance as to what you can expect from Norway. It's it's buzzwords or keywords that I would use again, like Gondry, Kaufman. Um, I think the film has a lot of the lore meets only lovers left alive in, in certain aspects. It's just cool. It's stylish. It's just has its own persona and swagger. And I, it just continual movement forward of something that is very glamorous. It is very appealing. And again, you just have to be into this wacky ride of this vampire that starts dancing, cannot stop in his own mind because he'll die and eventually has to have a moral, very hard decision of whether he turns Hitler. Like, like none of that should work, but that's the sentence I just said. And it is a very good movie for that. And I'll say from my sales pitch, it is a movie that uh, channels and is set in the 1980s that watching now this year, 2022 didn't make me want to turn it off, which is actually pretty high praise because every filmmaker has a film about the eighties now. And it's after a certain point, you're just like, discover another decade. I don't yeah, care. What and decade. I guess that's, that's what we should say is that even though it's the eighties, it's not being force fed to you. It's not a wink wink. Like it's just, it's just the setting. It doesn't utilize the eighties. Cause I mean, to, to, you know, like movies like that, it's like, Oh, let's play music from the eighties. Let's have this. I mean, there are disco techs in the movie, but there, it, it, it feels like something out of this world, you know? Yeah. And the music, like the music alone, you've talked about the music so much, Brad, but like, this is, this is the kind of stuff like I have heard, we've all heard a million film soundtracks where somebody was like, I have a Casio. And you're like, oh my God, is this going to be the next 90 minutes? This is dynamic and lively and engaging and bouncy and like kind of like jubilant in a way that a lot of these soundtracks aren't. They've lost the ability to, to make synthwave soundtracks that have fun anymore. They all have to be sort of dour and minor. Um, so it's every, every piece of this is steeped in the 80s, which is common, but earns the right to be revisited by us, which is uncommon, I think. Yeah. And the other thing is to, to kind of say what you were saying, because yeah, in the, in the interview, he mentions Carpenter, like that was an influence. I, you never fucking know it watching the movie. Yeah. Like, you know, because I mean, every filmmaker and every musician now tries to replicate it. Like let yeah, I like John Carpenter. Here's my soundtrack. Cool, right. man. Think of something. Get the throw away the fucking keyboards. We don't need yep. it anymore. It's over. It's done with. No one fucking cares. And it's like movies. It's like, oh well, yeah, I love Carpenter. Here's my assault on precinct 13 or Halloween. No one fucking cares. Like it's it's been done. Let's be more creative. Like channel, like you can be inspired by something and create your own voice. And that's what Giannis does. I would I would have never put that together until I heard him say that. Because mm-hmm. you can watch movies and be like, oh, yeah, big Carpenter fan, huh? And it's just like, wink, wink. Guess what I like, guys? Yeah, we got it, you know. Yep. I want to see. I want to see the filmmaker who comes out and is like, "This is my Norway. I was inspired by Norway, and this is this is the, this is my take on Norway." Like, what? It's gonna happen. Nostalgia works on twenty to thirty year cycles. So set true. your watches for twenty forty two, and you might have some filmmaker that would be like, "You know, I met Brad Henderson. Do you know Brad Henderson? I met Brad Henderson at a festival once, and he showed me this film Norway, and I couldn't get it out of my head." We got, you know, we got two decades to get there, but it could happen. So when, uh, when is Terrorvision going to put out the uh, Norway vinyl? <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, we're working on something um, just because the music is 
like it's 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 its own creation as well you know but yeah no no i i, I would really like to we're, we're working on um a little so that's why we didn't include the isolated track on the on the uh on the blu-rays because we want to do something special with uh with the vinyl so that's awesome um, eventually what one day i just want people to watch the movie a little bit more yeah. <laughs> because they're like norway vinyl what the fuck is this you know it's like well that's a movie and they're like what are you talking about you know so i i just i just hope it catches on and and, and maybe one day um more people will lay eyes on it you know norway's not done it's not like it just came out on blu-ray and we forgot about it we still have some additional plans it's just that you know get us kind of spread these things out you know we have the movie for like five years so we gotta we gotta utilize it well normally i would wrap our conversation by saying where can people go and, and learn more about the stuff they're working on etc you're what you're working on where it is pretty super established in this episode so what is the best way to support a film like norway or terrorvision yes obviously by the blu-ray but like are there other things that people can do to support a, you know, a young startup um, distributor that go beyond just like buying the two movies that you have? No, no. I would just say support movies, just support physical media, any, any label. Cause you, you support one label. It just carries over like, you know, so support, just watch more movies, watch movies you haven't seen before and support physical media, watch stuff digitally, just watch movies. That's, that's how you help any of this, you know, not me in particular. So, but nice. support Norway. <laughs> I, I'm yeah, telling I mean, right. you know, it's great if you want to buy Norway or WNUF or Killing Spree or our next doc that we have uh, coming out. Or wait, next doc. We only have, yeah, we have a couple documentaries, but we have a documentary coming out next in April. So maybe nice. we can talk about that because that's weird. <laughs> but unless it's about mold um it's not it's about mold world. it's not about mold but that is a, it's called the creeping garden and arrow released <laughs> on blu-ray and it's it is fascinating eat some cereal and watch it in the morning go buy a physical copy of the creeping garden on arrow um by the transitive property that helps TerraVision. we're good we've we've solved distribution today guys yeah uh, Donato, if people want to, I mean, since you're the guy that's out there hyping up the stuff, um, movies, horror movies, movies in general, where movies, who would have thought, uh, where do people go to find you online and learn more about your criticism and see some of that indie horror stuff we talked about in our Patreon video this week? Uh, you can join the horde of haters that I have been amassing the last few days for my Texas Chainsaw Massacre review opinions uh, at Donato Bob on Twitter, Letterboxd and Instagram. Uh, you can also follow all my work on my authory page. So you can go to authory, search for Matt Donato. You can follow it if you would like to. And like, it'll actually keep you updated every time I write something on the many sites that I write for. But yeah, aside from that, let's follow the socials. I will keep putting my stuff out there and uh, I will not be deterred. Should we follow the fan Twitter account that you definitely don't run yourself? Um, which honestly, I don't run myself. Uh -huh. I, I think you're okay. I don't know if you have to follow that. I think I'll, I'll take care of doing my own promotion. <laughs> Awesome. As for myself, follow me at, at Matt Monagle on Twitter. Um, do check out certifiedforgotten.com. A lot of times, even if we don't get to titles on the show, a lot of the kind of films that that Brad is making his bread and butter on and the kind of the indie stuff that, you know, <laughs> they can't explain it and they don't know if anybody's going to watch it, but they put it out. That's what a lot of our writers gravitate towards too, as well. And we tend to run a lot of really good reviews, retrospectives, not reviews, retrospectives and editorials um, on those kind of features. So certifiedforgotten.com. 
check it out. You'll find more indie movies for you to support. Uh, Rising Tide Lifts All Boats. Brad, thank you so much for being our guest this week. Any parting thoughts you want to leave for the audience, those people that are now fired up to go seek the weird shit? Just watch more movies. That's an easy tagline. Yeah. Go out and watch more movies, everybody. Thank you for listening to Certified Forgotten. Matt Donato, please take us home. I honestly have no fucking idea. That's, that's appropriate.